Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. My stomach hurts too much candy. Whoa. Oof. You should lay off. I've been meaning to tell you. <laughs> I found the wrappers leading from the uh, office to the trash can. Oh. I just thought, you know what? It's time it, to quit. It's probably enough. Time to time to approach me. Yeah. No, I actually haven't really. I mean, <laughs> I guess I'm projecting in the future right now. I don't think I've had any candy. Whoa. I, I typically like to wait until I give myself one day a week and I'll, I'll enjoy some. That's right. You do that, don't you? I do do that. Yeah. Are you one of those people that can taste different flavors in M&M's? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever tried, but maybe I'll give it a shot because I'm pretty sure we have some. I'm pretty sure that's a special psychopathy there. You that, think so? Yeah. I, it, they're all the same. Blue tastes like yellow, tastes like brown. They're not Skittles. They're M&Ms. Maybe. I, well, colors have an effect on the way that we perceive flavor, no? I mean, if you... I, I think color colors signify something. So it could be one of those tricks that they play. You know, manufacturers, they, they try to make their flavors more palatable and more... What's the word? They try to make them more like, craveable, crave-worthy. So they do different colors. And it's like the food scientists now that do that combination of sugar, salt, and fat to give it the perfect palatability so that you love it, crave it, and want to eat too much of it. Okay, we're talking about M&Ms. I, I we're mean, not talking about like the, the Iron Chef table or anything no, like I'm that. No, I'm talking to these, these people that make all the really fancy food. I mean, the food that everyone's addicted to. I think that's that's on purpose. If you can taste the flavor, different flavor of M&Ms, then will you just let us know so that we know who we need to spend some extra time with? got biblical counseling available we do <laughs> we'd like to talk with you we do we would yeah okay no. christmas playlists are you listening to anything right now uh so there's a few that i go to every year um i really like casting crowns christmas album from uh, a while back okay um sovereign grace has great ones yeah um Who would have dreamed? yeah yeah so those are some that we uh we go to on a regular basis i i know we we talked about it. Stephen Curtis Chapman's got some good ones. Chris mm-hmm. Tomlin, I, I really go back and forth. That's what's so hard about Christmas music. Like you typically calendar year will change. I'll start a new playlist for new music that year that, mm. that comes out. Right. Okay. Okay. It's hard to do that with Christmas music because like we talked about yesterday, so much of it has the nostalgia. It's all the same stuff. Well, it's Repackaged. all the same stuff, Repackaged. but also it's like, you've got that song that's that played when you were, you know, a little kid and, and you want to go back to that song because that's the one that you've always heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's one though by uh, the Village Church that uh, is a spoken word that uh, is is really good about waiting for the coming Messiah. That That's is cool. spoken um, word, huh? Yeah, that is super good. Very and uh, I'll try to, to to figure out what the title of it is. But I think we should do some country Christmas this year. I thought you were going to say country spoken word. <laughs> that too. This and that. <laughs> Can we do both? I'm all about doing new things, bro. Oh, Let's man. give it a shot. Spoken word with a twang. That's what that's what it would be. What right? if everybody at Compass North Texas wore the jeans and the cowboy boots and the five gallon hat? They they could. Let's do it. They yeah. Lead the way. I partner. Preaching that. I see. I was told not to try to distract when I preach though. With that's not what distracting. I, it's not, this is the place to do it. It might be. It's the place to do it, man. Dallas is not the place to do that. We're in North Texas. This is not Dallas. Yeah, but still, we're we're yeah, exactly. We're bougie North Texas. Like, no, man, no. I was taking photos in the Salina 
Town Square. Thank you, Shay, by the way. We're taking photos, family photos, and there was another family taking photos in the Salina Town Square, and they were country folk, like legit. They well, had like country okay. cowboy boys. I mean, they did look like country folk. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. We're on the border of bougie and country, but so it's appropriate. Yeah, I think I, you should do it. I I don't think so. In fact, I had somebody visit our church this weekend and they came up to me after the service. They could say, I saw what you were wearing while you were preaching and I knew that you were from California. I was like, I, that, <laughs> that hurts. I did not want that. I, it's because you had that shirt. Said. I love California. That's what it said. I meant to not preach in that and I just mm. don't know what happened. Mm. Dude, I, you know what? It's funny. I think that people can look at almost any of us and realize, you know what? You're not native Texans. But that's, that's Dallas. Like, that's the thing about Dallas. Like, Dallas is not, when people think, like, the steers and the, the, the roping and, the, like, that's not Dallas. And hopefully, Fort Worth. Yeah, more Fort Worth, but, but much more South Texas. Okay. Like, Central and South Texas where you get into the ranches and everything else. Dallas was a big oil town, and it's, it's, uh, it's commercialized. It's, it's all that stuff. And so, Yeah. I, God with us. That all that to say. That's what it's called. God with us by Folk Angel. Isaac Wimberly is the Folk the artist. Angel. Yeah. Isaac Wimberly. God with us. Go listen to that. Okay. It's awesome. All it right. uh, it will get you charged up for the return of Jesus. Let's do it. Speaking of which, hey, uh, let's turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is talking a lot about the return of Jesus, although he didn't know it would be the return of Jesus. And uh, he called him Branch. He, he called him Branch. You're right. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Chapter 33 is uh, is all about God keeps his word. Um, he keeps his promises. It opens up, strangely enough, as that's the theme of this chapter with Isaiah still in prison. Um, Isaiah is not writing this from a, a cushy armchair he's uh he's in the the uh, under house arrest or or in the the court of the uh the king there the court of the guard so he is imprisoned uh for the the prophecy that he's been giving because he hasn't been tickling the ears of the king and telling him good things and uh and so he continues his prophecy here and talks about god doing uh good and he's going to bring health and healing and he's going to reveal the abundance of prosperity and security to judah these are new covenant promises that he's unpacking even further here uh, there's going to be heard again verse 11 the voice of mirth by the way mirth does not it mean what it sounds like what does it mean it means it sounds like death right it means like for frivolity partying like happiness and and that's why it's put in in context with those other words give us a modern day word that sounds like Um, that means that uh celebration okay might be a good word um or or even frivolity right just that that like slap happy like life is good right i've never said that word okay well there you go the voice of mirth though mirth sounds horrible but it's it's a good thing so when you read mirth think the opposite of what it sounds like (laughs) Um, there's again going to be mirth. There's going to be gladness. There's going to be the voice of the bridegroom and people are getting married. Like right now, as Babylon is besieging the city, people are not getting married. Uh, those things are not taking place, but in the future they will again. Why? Because the branch is coming. The branch, the, uh, the one from the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and he's going to come the righteous branch to spring up for David. So here in chapter 33, we see I, Jeremiah prophesying the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. That's looking forward to this branch man, Jesus, <laughs> who's going to reign branch man. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some, you, the, the, in, uh, in the new Testament, when it says that Jesus, uh, will be called a Nazarene it's in where it says for it is written. Well, there's no, there's no old Testament promise or prophecy that we can point to for fulfillment of that. Right. And there's some that think that that's a play on the word, uh, not there, which is Hebrew for branch. 
So he's the Nazarene. He's the branch man from the branch town, Nazareth, not not there being branch. So they're thinking there might be some connection here that that's and that's why I called him the branch man. That's right. I forgot about that. Well, just a quick reminder here about our time frame. We're looking at 588, 587, give or take. Remember, this is the siege leading into the Babylonian captivity. And so if we remember, let's, let's remind ourselves of what the dates are. The northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians in the year 722. So hopefully you remember that. We've, talked, we've said that a few times. Don't worry, we'll remind you again in the future. But 722, we're now looking at the very end of the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom is gone. They've been occupied and been dispersed. Now the southern kingdom remains, and Babylon is sieging the city. They're cutting off supplies and any opportunity for people to leave. Uh, Jeremiah is going to tell them, you should go and surrender. That's where the, the remnant will be preserved in Babylon. Uh, but there's still a holdout. Zedekiah is is pushing back. He's saying, no, I don't want to listen to this. You're, you're going to find out what he does with Jeremiah's scroll and a couple chapters. But just know, we're looking at 588, 587. In the next chapter, we're going to look at closer to 586. 586 is the year when Jerusalem falls to Babylon finally, fully. And there's actually three deportations that Babylon effects. The first one, 605, the second one, 597, and the last one, the, the, the one that completes the end is 586. Yep. And that's when the temple was destroyed. And when the temple is destroyed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, right after the fulfill, passage on the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant there in verse 17, it, we pick up in verse 19 and following. And this is similar to what we read about yesterday. And that is that God says, look, if you can break my covenant with the sun and the moon, in other words, if you can stop the sun from rising and the moon from, from coming up at night, then fine. You can say that I've broken my covenant with Israel. This is our dispensationalist. Right. Exactly. Stuff like this. Yes. You can't, how do you get out of that? Right. Right. We haven't done that. And right. he's not he's not shifted this all of a sudden to be fulfilled in the church or the church is not a, a, a product of this is somehow it's the natural outcome of this. No, this is God telling Israel and, and a promise made to Israel, even with the Davidic covenant language here. This is why we still believe in a future for Israel. Passages like this, and there's more to come still in, in the passages that are left between now and, and the new year that you'll hear us unpack and talk about. So this is why we hold, right. hold on to that. Chapter 34, Zedekiah. King Zedekiah, Pastor Rod, you mentioned him a little bit that he was uh, he was holding back and trying to push back on, on God's revealed plan through Jeremiah. We'll read about that more later. But the Lord says to him, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from his hand, but you shall surely be captured and delivered into his hand. You shall see the king of Babylon eye to eye and speak with him face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Good thing or bad thing? Yes. <laughs> I did it. I did one of the pastor PJs. Yeah, the, again, God, through the prophet Jeremiah says that God's going to preserve a remnant in Babylon. Right. And that's where we, we read not too long ago that to plant gardens. They're to marry and settle, pray for the welfare, for in the welfare of the city is your welfare. So it's good that they go. It's not good, but it's good that they surrender. That's going to be how God preserves the people. And yet Zedekiah refuses. In fact, there's kind of an interesting dynamic here in chapter 34 where the people kind of have a change of heart. Like, let's let the, let's let the slaves go free. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, at least given what the text says, it's not because they have a sincere, like, oh man, we've been, we've been sinning against the Lord and sinning against our brothers. Let's let our, our slaves go free. Uh, but that's what, that's what they do. And God does seem in the moment to respond favorably to their, what appears to be the repentance, but it's short lived it is. because they don't let that happen. As soon as, as soon as relief is given because of the Egyptian support they take back all their slaves they renege on their on their release and say oh actually actually come back i, I want to re re-oppress you right right yeah and so things are, are 
yeah, there's, there's glimpses that you look at and you go, maybe that's good. But then it, it turns out to be a false bad fruit, um, man. Yeah. Bad fruit. Chapter 35 though, we get the opposite. We get an example of faithfulness and the, uh, the Rechabites, um, they're an encouraging group. I mean, they are, I think this is a reminder to us that you may feel like, man, I, I don't have a position of great power or authority or, or an ability to, to move the needle greatly in, you know, geopolitical affairs or anything like that. And if you do, and you're part of our church, come talk to us. We'd, we'd love to know that. Um, <laughs> but this is a reminder that, that small acts of faithfulness and obedience are seen by God and rewarded by God. And, and they're, they're, encouraged by, I mean, God holds them up through Jeremiah to say, this is what you should do. Look at these people. These people are faithful. That should be our, our aspiration church. We should want to live such a life that God would say, look at this family, look at this family, look at this family. They've been faithful to me, even though the culture is going the opposite direction. They're swimming upstream and they're staying faithful to me. Right now, look at the time frame here. We're looking at 609 to about 598, somewhere there in that ballpark. This is a different King. Mm-hmm. Now we were just talking about Zedekiah. We're now looking at Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. So we've moved backward in time. And I think Jeremiah does this in order to, to do what you're saying, Pastor PJ, to provide a contrast. Right. You guys are being unfaithful. I'm the Lord. I'm giving you words and I'm telling you what to do. And yet this Rechabite clan, they're so faithful to their father, who was just a man who's saying, hey, we're not going to do this and that. And and the people were like, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. That's that's our clan. That's our family. And it's so funny because I've thought this very thing, although not for the Rechabites, but I often think about the cults and, and the false religions and how committed some of those people are. Yeah. They, they are so committed to their religion and to their, their holy book or works that in many respects, they outrun and outwork Christians. Yeah. And I think, Lord, please don't let that be. Why is it that unbelievers and and people who follow a false ideology can be so steadfast and so ardent in their devotion to this lie and they, they, they shame us who are devoted to the truth. And that's honestly one of the things that motivates me. I don't want someone to outwork me. I don't want someone to outserve me. I want to serve the true God better than anyone serves their false God. The Rechabites provide a good illustration, although that's not it. They're not serving a false God. They're just showing dedication and fidelity to their great ancestor. And then that's God saying, look, Israel, if they can do that for their, their father, can't you do that for me, the yeah. Lord? Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring that up. I, I, I think so much of that drive from those that are in the, those cultic systems comes from there. There is no real grace in any of those cultic systems. Right. Wherein, and right. I think that's where we have to constantly go back to Romans six and understand that, that grace does not free us up to passivity, but give us license yeah. rather should cause us to present ourselves to God as an instrument for righteousness. Right? Right, right. But I think that's it. Like the, the Mormon goes door to door and knocks on the door because so much of their eternal standing with the Lord is based on their works yeah. and, and their obedience. And they're, so they're doing that going, man, eternity's at stake. If I don't same with the, those that are in, in uh, Islam and in these other religions, they're, they're, they're based on, I've got to earn this. And so I'm going to work extra hard because I've got to earn it because they're aware in their mindset what's at stake if they don't and that for us it should be the the fear of the lord that drives us and an appreciation of the grace that drives us and that's that's uh, almost harder in some ways for us to work at because of the reality that our salvation is not dependent on what we do or don't do it can so easily make us lazy and that's yeah. exactly why scripture has to say uh, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound by no means meganoita right Mega strongest noita. strongest ne- negation in yeah. greek paul has to use that to say hey don't let grace be license for laziness right yeah we need that reminder which 
Speaking of that, as we flip over to Titus, you were talking about the concept of good works yesterday, and you said we're going to see that again in chapter three as well. So why don't you make that connection for us? Because that builds even out of what we were just talking about. That's right. That's right. So we learned yesterday in Titus chapter two, that grace is actually training us. It doesn't just save us. Jesus appears in verse 11, uh, Titus two, uh, to a, he appears, brings salvation for all people. And that same grace of God trains us in verse 12 to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And now we're going to see in chapter three, that there are one, two, three, four, Four places where God talks about how we respond to that grace. Starting at verse one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. That is to be prepared, to be uh, to be even eager to do good works. Drop down to verse five. He saved us, Jesus, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now there you go. There's that. There's what you're saying, Pastor. It's Peter. The gospel, right? The gospel. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the gospel. So there's a quick note for you. But he surrounds that. Then look at a verse eight. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you, Titus, to insist on these things. These are not offered, uh, not offered in a casual kind of ways. No, I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to get this, devote themselves to good works. It's so nice. He has to say it twice. Drop down to verse fourteen. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Mm. Suffice it to say, God cares deeply about us being a people who are working, who are doing good, who are being salt and light, who are preserving people, who are loving God, loving others. This is what grace does in the life of a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. One other note for us as we think about the body of Christ, and this is something that Pastor Rod and I are, are charged to uh, be the, the ultimate uh, guardians of, but also our, our church needs to be on the front lines of this. Look at verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, mm. Um, that is something that we have to guard against in our church and, uh, and understand, look with a, a group, even our size that we are right now. Right. And we pray that, that God continues to bring more and more people to our church, but even the, just the size that we are right now, there are going to be uh, disagreements. Nobody's going to, we, we all have differences in opinion. Hopefully on the, the tier one issues, we're all in agreement. And hopefully on most of the tier two issues, we're all in agreement, uh, but there's still going to be some areas of dis- differences. And you may hear something preached from the pulpit that you would say, oh, okay, that's that's not the way that, that I've heard it, or that's not my particular take on that passage, but right. I, I see what he's saying there. We need to be careful not to be divisive when it comes to matters of doctrine and theology. We need to be careful not to be divisive when it comes to matters of preference, preference, personal preference. And uh, and that's something that we need to, to guard against. And so Pastor Rod and I are, are taking that seriously, but we need you guys to take that seriously as well and make sure that if you hear any hints of that in somebody else, that you pull that person aside and say, hey, look, we got to be careful about these things and we got to remember that that the unity of the body of Christ is is important, is of utmost importance. And if there's a tier one issue, right, that's where we have to wave the red flag and stomp our feet and yell and scream and, and do everything that we can, because that's an issue that's a gospel issue. That means, hey, this is a, a false church, right? And that's where we would stand up and say it's, it's worth the divisiveness in that situation. So can you clarify then what qualifies as a tier one issue? Sure. You've kind of, you kind of suggested it. Yeah. Actually, you said it, but be super clear. What's yeah. tier one? So similar to what I said this past Sunday when I talked about like-minded uh, believers and like-minded churches. We're going to agree on who is God. We're going to agree on what is the Bible and we're going to agree on what is the gospel. Those are three things that I th- think we cannot disagree on. And so it's it's the character of God, his Trinitarian existence, his eternality. It's the Bible is the inerrant and authoritative word of God, fully inspired by him. And the gospel is the, the repentance and faith and the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and rose again from the dead so that we can live with him forever. That there's no variation open there when it comes to those, those 
those three key issues there. So outside of those three key issues, then there's a there's a lot of flexibility. It seems like a lot a lot of uh, areas where we would say, oh, we we strongly disagree with uh, women as pastors. But we could still be in fellowship. We could still go to the same church. And that's where I would say with tier two issues, you want to still find a church where you are largely in agreement on tier two issues with with that church. But again, you may not be in full agreement on every tier two issue with that. I think there are some that we triage a little bit more. For example, I would put women in ministry as a, a pretty high top order tier two issue. It's not going to divide believer from unbeliever necessarily, but am I, if I'm not a pastor of a church, if I'm just going to a church, if am I going to a church, which may have God, the gospel and the Bible, right? But then they've got a female pastor. No, that's going to be, if I'm going to look at every other church I possibly can first. And then at the end of the day, if that's the best church of every other church in the area, when it comes to those other three issues and, and the rest of doctrine and theology, yeah, I, I may land there because again, that's not an issue of whether or not these are brothers and sisters in Christ. But I think there are tier two issues that are still important that we want to be largely in agreement with the church that we're at when it comes to those tier two issues. That's really helpful. You talk about tier one, tier two, and I'm guessing there's a tier three. There is a tier three. Um, are those formal categories that you're referring to? Is there a book that I should reference with this regard? Or is that more of a, like, I'm just kind of talking in generalities here. Okay. There's a, there's a book that I used to recommend that I don't anymore because its author has since quote unquote deconverted, um, which is really tragic because the book is super helpful in this. But in this book, he drew a, the, the picture of a target. And so you've got the bullseye. The bullseye are those tier one issues. Those are those three items that I covered. The next ring in the bullseye are those tier two issues. These are issues of doctrine and theology. So this is going to be reformed theology versus uh, covenant or versus unreformed theology. This is going to be covenant versus dispensationalism. This is going to be um, where does somebody fall on the sign gifts? This is going to be women in ministry. This is going to be some key theological doctrinal issues that again, largely you want to be in agreement with the second those second tier issues where you choose to, to go to church. Otherwise it's going to make it hard for you when you, when you're sitting listening to the preaching of the word and there's constant reminders that you're in disagreement over something that again, may not be a tier one issue, but there's those tier two issues. It's going to be hard for you to be in that friction constantly while you're there. Not impossible, but hard third tier issues. Those are matters of preference. Those are matters of what are the musical instrumentation that's up on stage or what does the pastor preach in his clothing and attire or where does the church meet? Does it meet in a a 24-7 facility or a school or what color is the carpet? Things like that that you may have a very strong opinion on, but at the end of the day, it's not a biblically uh, clear, elucidated statement of this is what has to be. And so that's a preference. And man, if you're finding a church where you've got a lot of tier one issues, where you've got all the tier one issues intact and a lot of the tier two issues, two issues intact, die to your preferences and implant there because those are the, the most important things. Yeah. And it's, we said this before, it's worth saying again, that a good church is not a plentiful thing, right? There, there's a lot of churches out there, but not all of them are good. And so it's, if you're one of those people where your, your best church has a lot of complications, shall we say? It's worth considering, can, is it feasible for us to move close to a good church? Right. That is a great reason to consider upping, up, uprooting your family and placing them next to a place where they can be firmly rooted in the gospel and the truth. That's worth considering when you think about moving for a job or moving for uh, some other reason, whatever, yeah. whatever that might be, consider your church as one of the first order issues. 100%. 100%. Hey, thanks for joining in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Pastor Rod's uh, going to pick up his car. That's so, right. Yeah. Which was yesterday's episode. But, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yep. It's been, 
Gotta go back in time. Back in time. He's going to do that now. And we'll see you guys again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye, y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.